This is Gutterball. The Lebowski Deepcast. Like, oh, it's a heist movie. No, it's a stoner movie. In each episode, Brad and Adam discuss a single minute of The Big Lebowski. Are you ready to be fucked, man? Providing insight. It kind of sounds like some kind of howler monkey. Commentary. It's a vaginal lead-up. And conjecture. He has found himself in a world turned upside down. And now, Gutterball. Hi, Brad. <laughs> Hello, Seth. How are you, man? I'm all right. How are you? Just all right. I'm good, man. Why are you just all right? I want you to be magnanimous. I want you to be effusive. All right. I'll do that for you. Do it for I'm the here. listener, Brad, because let for me tell listener. you, we've had responses flooding in for our quiz like everybody is really wanting that shirt um i'm just lying nobody's nobody cares well, nobody the gives contest's not done they have to wait for <laughs> all 73 questions <laughs> nobody gives a shit come on so i mean even if there's one person out there that cares what they're waiting they're hoarding their answers before they nobody well, nobody well, has we've said never anything. said that it's like done we keep like doling out more questions but wouldn't you now if i was but i'll tell you what there's okay. only one shirt right well i got two shirts two so. shirts so pretty much the first person that writes in with at least some semblance of answers i think earns a shirt without a doubt their answers could all be number 1 fuck you number 2 Fuck you. Number three. Fuck you. It doesn't even matter what the answers are. Literally, you've responded to the quiz. You're probably going to win because literally nobody has responded. If ever we needed reassurance that we are doing this for ourselves, we have it. We has it. <laughs> Assurance. We has it. We get the occasional repost on Facebook. That's what keeps me going. Well, yeah, basically. Gordon is the only person who keeps us going. I, I, uh, Gordon and my wife. And your wife. Are the two listeners. Once in a while, the Reverend. And, you know, Stephen. But he doesn't count because he's a guest on the show. So he doesn't count. Like, he'll like a thing once in a while. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Why, why am I so enamored with, like, wanting to be loved, Brad? But this is a thing I struggle with. I need to be loved. I want the, the things that I do to be, like, experienced. And then that's, that's level one. I want the things I do to be experienced. Like, that's baseline of anything creative that you try to do. They need to be experienced. I guess that, that's level one. Level zero sure. is you and I just talk. And that's fine and like, yay. That's all I really need. You and I get to hang out and like shoot the shit. Great. Level one, though, after level zero is somebody else somewhere experiences it. And I think we have that. Your wife and my mother both listen to the show. I know that for a fact. Well, I know that my mother listens to it, and I'm pretty sure Christine the Playbill listens to it. So there's level one. Level two is there's 
what some engagement i'm not sure what level two is engagement like like expansion i'm not sure but i need like that shallow reassurance that the things i do yes like mean something to a, a broader circle of people and i, I this i don't know i think you're doing something right when a lot of people think you're stupid Say again? Is that a weird way to put it? Those might not choice Say it words. again. I, 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 I think you, you're doing something what you right. you did was, you backed away from the microphone and I literally couldn't hear your words. Say again. I think you're doing something right. If, if nobody likes you? If nobody, well, if some people don't like you. All right, I'm moving this mic here. It's not the recording mic, it's just the transmission mic. The, uh, and, you know, if oh, we're, we're also, if we're going to be calling out uh, our listeners, our listeners are out there, right? For, so, you know, I'm not too worried. We, there's Costas. Let's not forget about him, too. Oh, you know what, Costas? Uh, that's my bad. Sorry, Costas. And but so for that. every one person that actually contacts us, there's a thousand other that just listen and lurk, so... Costas, I hope that your boat has been scraped clean of all the bullshit paint and that there's new paint on the bottom of it that's impervious to water. I hope that that has happened. And may your bus journeys be ever quicker. <sighs> so I enough know, of man. this this wallowing. Well, we have come a, on. We have an episode. We have a minute of the Big Lebowski sitting in front of us. Well, and we're finally out of the limo, for God's sakes. Well, a little bit. We <laughs> right. still have about a 50 seconds of this minute are in the limo. Sure, but... But the- as you say, we're getting into the meat of things, though. <laughs> we are getting into the literal meat of the movie. So do you say that because there's, like, toe meat? Toe meat, Brad. Toe meat. There's All right, so meat. let's do our little thing. Let's play the. Uh, oh, the we're just gonna here. do it. Let's just do it and start talking about Lebowski. Right, fine, I'm totally in. Here we go. Beep. Since you have failed to achieve even in the modest task which was your charge, since you have stolen my money, since you have unrepentantly betrayed my trust, I have no choice but to tell these bums to do whatever is necessary to recover their money from you, Jeffrey Lebowski. And with Brant as my witness, I will tell you this. Any further harm visited upon Bunny will be visited tenfold upon your head. By God, sir, I will not abide another toll. I hear the cotton whispering That wasn't her toe, dude. <laughs> Whose toe was it, Walter? What the fuck should I know? So there we go. That was smooth. That was pretty good. Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm a time traveler. I went back in time and I made it smooth. No one All will right. know what kind of bullshit we were going through just to like insert 60 seconds of the movie into that so anyway even in the modest task which was your charge (laughs) and i guess i'll start the start off this way but achievement makes 
a little, it like rears its ugly head again. Yes. Since you have failed to achieve. Failing to achieve is the worst thing in the world. You can dress to bad. To the titular Lebowski. Yeah, you can dress bad on a weekday when you're supposed to be looking for a job. You can be in sort of the uh, quasi-revolution sector of the population that's like all anti and not wearing suits and ties. And you can do that. You can be a bum if you want. You will lose. But the worst thing you can do is either not achieve or not even try to achieve. That is just death as far as the titular Lebowski is concerned. Well, is there even a question of not trying? Like, I think that's ultimately the disconnect, right? Like in, in the titular Lebowski sense, everyone tries to achieve. Like if someone is not achieving, it is not their choice. They've failed. Although that might, uh, he's projecting Brad, although that might, uh, you know, go counter to like the, Typical conservative stereotype of people that are destitute, like chose that path. So I, I, I'm not sure. Well, that's the thing. He's not the typical, like, all you got to do is try and like go out and get a job at a gas station or washing dishes or whatever, because he has never actually had to do anything. His legs got blown off in what? Korea? by a Chinaman, but he was working at a desk probably. And he's never had to do anything because his family clearly has money. He has never achieved shit. He had this, this handicap basically, which, you know, afforded him a level of sympathy and couple that with the money that his family has clearly had, or maybe Maud has made a ton so, of this. So why do you say his family clearly has money? How do we know he did not achieve this this station in, in life? Because he's a pathetic loser. Maud tells us as much. You know? So that's okay. I mean, I, I, I that's, I'm skipping that. ahead. I could go with that. We haven't covered that minute, but Maud later in the movie is like, oh, most certainly, you know. The dude is like, oh, the main guy, the big Lebowski. Oh, most certainly not. Mother had some money, blah, blah, blah. You know, his first wife. But that's that's for a later episode. I don't want to get too much into all right, that. All right, all right. I mean, I think that's pretty much like, oh, no, he didn't do shit. He just kind of like fell into all this money. Couple that with his handicap He's disabled. He was just, like, living the life. So he gets to, like, be up on his pedestal and, like, hold court and wield his uh, mallet and pound down on the gavel. What's the gavel? Is that the hammer part or the uh, round part? The whole thing is the gavel. Oh, it's, it's two parts. So there's a hammer and a... Oh, you mean the thing the hammer strikes? Which is the gavel? I think the thing you hold in your hand is the gavel. Yeah, so he gets I... to wield his gavel and smash it down on the uh, the uh, wooden coaster. And, you know, sit in judgment of everybody who hasn't achieved as much yeah. as he has. 
And that's, you know, must be a nice life. Right. But that's what he gets to do because he's got money that he did not earn. He did not achieve that station. It was given to him. So this is why I'm saying like he's projecting all of this non-achievement on everybody else because he himself has not achieved that. And I'm telling you something, Brad. The more people like harp on a thing, the more that thing is probably their own problem. The more you crow, the less you know. We've been over this before. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying here. Since you have failed to achieve, well, you know what? Screw you, man. You've failed to achieve. You let your ex-wife, who's probably dead, you know, because you're a widower and you got a bunch of sympathy, and then your legs don't work, you got even more sympathy. So now you get to, like, you know, wheel around in your wheelchair. I'm saying. Yeah. Well, uh, yes. Don't you get me? I hear when you do these little one-off, like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I know what that means. It's like you're dismissing it a little bit. No, no, I, I got you. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm truly with you. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, how, how much are you I may not be me? able to project the, the, the uh, sincerity right now. <laughs> well, you shouldn't project it, because if you're projecting it, it just means... You know, you don't really believe it. You're either in or you're out. You're out, Tom. How weird is it that they send his ex-wife's toe to him, and then he's just like, well, this sucks. I'm just going to have to tell him to talk to the loser dude to figure this out. It's not weird at all. Well, it's... It depends on the prism through which you. Well, that would the be narrative is refracted. That would be weird if it were true, but it's not true. Do you know why it's not weird? I thought long and hard about this, my friend. You know why it's not weird? Because first of all, think about this. Your first wife is dead. She had lots of money. She was probably even older than you. Whatever. Now you get to sit here and blah blah blah, and then now you have this hot trophy wife. Nancing around, and as much as she pisses you off, she's still a hot, like, 24-year-old wife that, you know, you're pretty proud of because it's a status symbol. Kidnappers have, have abducted her, and they cut off one of her toes, and they send it to you in the mail. And what you do is put it in an envelope and hand it to this schleppy loser. To, like, fiddle around with? Like, I'd be putting that shit on ice and trying to save it in the hopes that if I kept it cold enough, maybe it could be reattached. I wouldn't be letting, like, random strangers fondle my wife's severed toe. So, this, to me... And would you touch the toe? Okay. But let's not even. We're That's gonna the get other there. Side we're gonna of get the there. Equation. We're gonna get there. We're not there yet. Come on. So what this says to me is that he receives a toe. This was part of his plan. This to me is proof positive that he is in fact in league with the fucking nihilists. And he's like, okay, this is not going how I want it to go. I really need to put the screws to this schleppy wannabe private detective white Russian pot-smoking loser, somebody's 
Do you have a woman there? She's got to cut off a toe and I'll hand it to him to really put the fear in him. He needs the fear. This to me is proof that he is in need. Do you want your 30% of the million dollars or not? Right. Exactly. How much do you think they'd be cut in for? Like there's three of them plus the girl. Well, a million dollars, even if it's like half and half. I think he told them. It's just like 12,000 each. Well, I think he told. What do you mean? 12,000. I think you have a zero wrong there. It's a million dollars. Even if they only got 30%, that'd be 300,000. So they'd each get 120. That'd be all right for me. Right, right. They each get a hundred. I don't know where I got. Oh yeah, four of them. One hundred twenty. Yeah, well, one hundred twenty. Whatever. All right, I'm totally wrong. But yeah, I think, I'm a reject in math. But I think, and I do want to get back to parallel lines meeting in infinity. Can't believe I, I lost that zero. Well, sometimes they slip away, Brad. That's At what infinity. happens when you get older, and parallel lines may or may not meet. And I do want to get back to that because I have some okay. questions. But all right, I'd love to hear them. Ah, God. But the thing about that is, I think he promised the entire million to them. We're supposed to get a million dollars, and I have not independently verified this, but I think when the final confrontation happens with the car, and they have the dude's car set on fire, didn't they say they were supposed to get a million dollars? I think he promised all of it to them, knowing full well that he wasn't going to give any of it to them. Because if you said, I'll give you you know, $120,000 each, that might not be enough to do what they're doing. Nihilist or not. Because, you know, that's a couple well, years salary if you get a decent job at, like, you know, managing an in and out Don't burger. forget it's 1991. But still, forty grand a year? What's that, three years salary to, like, be involved in all manner of... um felonies and like mutilation i mean come on it would have to be a million as soon as you say the word million you know things change you know what i mean no i hear what you mean but if he was promised them all the money like what was so if this goes according to plan the dude gives them the million dollars then what happens but the million dollars was never in there the million dollars. They threw a ringer for a ringer. In there. He kept it right from the get go. He had it. And he may so, have told them there was two million. They'd get a million. He'd keep a million. But he only right. took a million because he knew he could get away with a million, but maybe not two. Right. And so the problem is the. Well, there is no problem. The, the, the problem, well, there's no problem from his point of view, but what happens is the nihilists come back to the titular Lebowski and say, there's no money in this. Well, maybe they said there was no money, it was underwear. And the titular Lebowski is like, oh, this asshole tried to pull one over on me when I was trying to pull one over on him. You know, because all they had to do was mention that it was like a satchel with underwear in it and not like mm-hmm. a metallic briefcase. That's all they had to say. And then the titular Lebowski knows that the dude tried to pull one over. So now he's got him by the scrotum. This is, these are my concerns, dude. I think it's all starting to come into place. And I think it, it starts begins, to. It gets less and less 
uh, likely that the titular Lebowski was not in on it with the nihilists. They're in communication. They have to be. I don't know what you're furiously Googling, but it, you know, maybe you should have done this research before we started yeah. this podcast. Yes. So, yes, 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 <laughs> yes, 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 I should have, yes. <laughs> what do you got? I mean, I said lots of words there. Do you have a, a can you refute that? What do you, do you have no, any? No, I can't refute it. I'm no. totally on board with it. Fucking A, right? Yeah. I mean, this works. No, it's, it works. It, it is, makes sense. This has been what like really nagging at me. Is it's starting to make sense because we've talked before about how the movie actually doesn't make sense, but that's okay. Even the Coen brothers say they're not fully sure what's happening. So either we're making sense of something that even they did not make sense of, or we're tuning into what they actually thought was going on in the background that is yeah, not. We might be tuning. I feel like if we really were to lay out maybe like a giant case and have okay here's all the facts right we'd start to notice the weird contradictions in them perhaps although i feel like we're close to actually a grand unification theory that explains all of the facts presented the theory of everything in the big lebowski yes a mm -hmm. theory of everything Lebowski. but <laughs> i would take with a U. um you'd take i what? wonder i guess what i was wondering is do did the dude did did the Cohen brothers think about this as much as we're thinking about it right now? More by a factor of 10. Well, I don't know. They might have thought of a lot of things more, but did they think of it in this plot wise, right? Like I have the sense from reading the textbook that it was more like just these series of scenes they wanted to have. And then they just kind of like had to make a story to kind of string them together. I know the textbook. I've read the textbook, but that's, that's... Uh... The um their friend's point of view and uh, Trisha, who's that Joel's wife? It's like it's and they're not gonna want to give all of the details, but you can't tell me that they didn't sit around of a Wednesday night for four hours talking about this over a period of like six months. Well, Four actually, hours over a period yeah, no, of six months. Okay, shut up. I just made your point for you because this is two years now. Once a week for an hour. And, okay. You know what? Fuck you. But, all right. No, nothing. Fuck you. You're right. I don't know. I, I think they talked about it a lot. More than we have? I don't know. Good question. Comparable. But the, the well, time we've spent on this podcast is only possibly comparable to the time they spent like talking about the story not writing no, it not pre-production not planning it not definitely not shooting it not at none of that just possibly like shooting the shit about the story maybe maybe we've approached that level of time commitment maybe yeah this says so looking here we've so we've gone to the point in iTunes where it's no longer giving me like hours or anything. <laughs> it just says three days. <laughs> oh, we've entered into the. Well, see, that doesn't so if seem you add like a all lot. the episodes together. It's three. So uh, that's three twenty-four hour days, though. If I didn't have to go to work tomorrow, I could sit here and record for three days straight, seventy-two hours, easy. I once stayed up 
for 50 hours and didn't eat for 49 hours. Was this like an Agent Cooper thing? Yeah, I was trying to see things, which I did. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Got to be pretty, as we all know, (laughs) Brad. As we all know. Temporary sleep deprivation is a one-way ticket to psychosis, so. Or I guess sleep deprivation is a one-way ticket to temporary psychosis. It's not permanent, but. Yes. I saw a red skunk in the computer lab, so that wasn't too great. Watermelon smashed on your bedpost? I didn't see any of that stuff, thank goodness. I didn't have a bed or a bedpost. I was sleeping on a futon in the back of my Honda 1981 Honda Civic, so. There were no bedposts, my friend. All right. No jury-rigged. No. No jury-rigged. Well, jury-rigged. No jury-rigged things, suspensions. No, and that Honda Civic, I don't know if you ever had to help me with that. So I had this, it was actually a 1983 Honda Civic, which was already 12 years old by the time I had it. And I had to commute to my first year of college about, I don't know, how far was that, 20 miles? It was Wilkes-Barre to Hazleton. How far is that, 18 miles? That's a, well, I'm not sure how many miles, but that's probably a good 30 minutes. It was a half hour drive each way. So you commuted from Wilkes-Barre? Correct. Well, or Wilkes-Barre, as the natives sometimes call it? Let's just call it Kingston. And okay, just Kingston. be done. That's easier to say. Kingston, yeah. Kingston, yeah, yeah. So I had to go down uh, Route, what is that, 81, the highway? Yep. 81. Well, is it 83 yeah. or 81? I always get it. It's 81. Confused. You would take 81, 81, 81 to yeah. 80. Boom. Right, right. 80 for the last couple of miles there. And... um. This car then started to have a problem with its starter. It's like winter now. So it sometimes it just wouldn't start, like it wouldn't turn over. Thankfully, it was a standard transmission. So I would drive to class in the morning. And we'll rewind this, but whatever. I drive to class in the morning. There's a, a parking lot there. Um, and if I got there early enough, I sort of had my pick of the spots and the parking lot, thank goodness, was like on an incline. So I would find a spot that had some open space in front of it pointing downhill, knowing full well that by the time four o'clock or five o'clock PM rolled around and I had to drive back to Kingston, that the car wasn't going to start. But I could pop the clutch. So I would find a place where it was pointing downhill. And I had a big futon in the back just in case like it wouldn't start. And I would just have to sleep in the car. But then so I'd, I'd point it downhill. i get there at 5 o'clock. Invariably, chink, nothing. Turn the key, nothing. Wouldn't start. So then, you know, if I was lucky, I would find like... I'd sort of like smooth talk one of the friends into like coming down there like, Hey, you want to walk to my car while we shoot the shit? 
just so I could get them to like help me push the fucking car so I could pop the clutch. But that would only happen like one out of every three days that I was there. So more often than not, thankfully it's a 1983 Honda Civic, it's pretty small. More often than not, I'd have to like, okay, chunk, doesn't turn over at all. So now I'd open the door, turn the key, put it in neutral, put off the emergency brake, and like start pushing out of the space and usually it was filled up then the next row over so i'd have to like turn the wheel like out of the space and sort of like diagonal it through the aisle through the parking aisle there and get it up as fast as i could push me ready 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 jump in pop it into gear and try to pop the clutch so it would turn over sometimes it would work other times it wouldn't i have to stop it and like I would only, I'd be very careful with like how much room I had to work with because I might have two chances at this. And by the time I was done with the second chance, I was at the bottom of the hill. And then what am I going to do? Then I'm sleeping in my car. And then I get in there, push it, push it, push it, hop in. And then it would turn over. I'd pop the clutch, bam. And then I'd be off. And then I'd drive to Kingston and try to find a spot on the street to park where I could, like, do that the next morning, but then just on a re- regular, like, city street, which was not fun. No. So this is like the, uh, you know, the hidden costs of higher ed- education here. Yeah. Like bear. How do you quantify that? Seriously, put a price on it. Put a bird um, on it, Brad. Maybe about... You could probably get a new car for, like... Well, I've seen new cars ridiculously cheap. Well, I paid $900 for that car. It was obviously 12 years used. but You probably have to spend about 10 times that. So there's my quantification. Okay, $9,000. Well, that wasn't going to happen. But then the, uh, the downside to not having that new car was, you know, that car blowing up. I'm talking smoke. And a little bit of fire at like midnight or one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning on Route 81, halfway between <laughs> Hazleton and Kingston in February, twice within a month, blowing up and then having to, you know, power's out. There's no steering now. There's smoke everywhere and having to like navigate it over to the side of the road and get out fearing that it would, like, the gas tank would catch on fire and blow up, and then looking at this fiery heap of a vehicle and looking around in the darkness (laughs) wondering what to do now. You didn't have an iPhone, Brad. No, definitely not. That happened twice within the space of a month. I went and got the engine fixed for pretty much the price of the car, and then... Less than a month later, still like 40 degrees out, maybe not 19 like it was the first time, it happened again, blew up, smoke, pretty much the exact same spot, midway between Hazleton and Kings, twice within a month. So did you just sleep in your car that evening or what? I just looked for a spot on the horizon and started walking. 
the second time. See those, but see those types of adventures and life experiences are actually priceless. You can't quantify that. I suppose they are, but at the time, I just wanted a car that would get me to and fro. It already sucked bad enough that I had to drive half an hour to thirteenth grade. I didn't want to have to deal with that at the time. You could have like got a pup tent and stayed in the woods. Well, that's what the futon campus. was for, you know? I, You know, if I would have thought of having a pup tent, that would have been great. Because you could have gone down just over the hill there by the lookout and probably camped out there and nobody ever would have been the wiser. But it gets fucking cold up on that no, mountain. that's true. You know? Yeah, it wouldn't work for the, the more wintry months. No. No. Which is primarily when school is, is in season. Uh, right. The nine months out of the year that are wintry are right. the school months. I was going to say, yeah, which in Pennsylvania Basically, is September October, through May. Yeah, October to May. <laughs> you'd have a couple of so halcyon... So pretty much for September, you'd be good. You're <laughs> right. good. A couple of halcyon weeks in September. Other than that, you're fucked. Yeah. Nothing is fucked. Eight months are terrible. I don't know where that started from. Uh, we could loop it back into the dude's car being also a piece of shit that is running on fumes and on its last legs, I guess. But that doesn't show up in this minute. I don't know why I yeah. got on How that How did kick. we get there? I, I don't, don't remember know. that one. It doesn't really matter, I guess. Matters with something. It does matter with something. There was a reason we started on that. Um, <clears throat> projecting have... achievement. I don't know. Well, what about the toe? What about the fucking toe? That wasn't her toe, dude. Would you have allowed? I would not. I, like I said, I'd have it on ice. I wouldn't allow somebody to be fingering my wife's toe. What if you're in 13th grade, as you put it, and uh, you have this car that blows up on 80? It's happened twice. Would you then touch the toe? Would you take the toe? What do I get in return? Would you act as courier for another car? Absolutely. For a new car? I'd probably keep the toe in my mouth to like keep it warm and like hydrated. Mmm, the toe. You know? I would do that. Yeah. They are pretty, and I never really thought of, again, it's a thing, watching it, I never really think about it, but they are really casual with this toe. Pretty cavalier, with because they know it's not Bunny's toe, it's just some it, asshole's toe. At that point, toe. though, it doesn't matter. Well, no, you're right. It doesn't matter, because it's a toe that they have specifically procured. Yeah, they requested a toe. They got a toe doesn't matter where it's from. It's not Bunny's toe, so what do they care? It's like, listen, we need to step does, up our game here. We need to amp up. We need to ante up here. Does Brant know the truth? I don't, I don't know yet about that. I'm not sure. And Brant had this toe in his jacket pocket. Whether it's Bunny's toe or a nihilist's girlfriend's toe. It's fucking severed toe. toe. It's a severed toe. He still has a severed toe in his pocket. Wrapped Granted, in a it's little wrapped bit, in gauze well, and then in an envelope. A little bit of gauze and an envelope. But. So it's probably, it's not, it's like not just, it's not just free, free form in there, free burden the toe. No, but it's leaking substantially. It could, it could, you know, leak through the envelope and the gauze. It's not out of the realm of possibility that it could like leave a little like circular 
toe blood stain on the inside of his jacket? It could happen. He doesn't know. You know, he doesn't know. It's in there. It's obviously bloody. He might have toe blood on his jacket now. Do you think that's something Brant would be okay with? I don't think so. Well, is that also so. so? Is that maybe that is part of Brant's uncomfortableness? Uncomfortable his his facial expression he's making here because after he hands off the toe, he's kind of like hey, he cavalier. He's he like, dude, comes it's back a toe, in, right? He comes back into his own a little bit, doesn't he? Yeah. He's not there with his finger splayed, afraid to like, he's just kind of like bracing, you know, again, like in Knobles, bracing for the giant truck to blare in his face. Twitching one finger, uh, lifting his hands up a little bit, face squinched up into horror. It's because he has a toe in his pocket. You know what? I'm totally on board, totally on board with that, Brad. Once you said it, though, I think it's completely accurate. That is a big part of his discomfort, I think. A man like Brant, who's so particular about things, doesn't want a severed toe in his jacket pocket. He just doesn't. No. Like, he would be even less comfortable with that than I would be. And I wouldn't be too comfortable with it. For some reason, I just was about to say, well, I've had a severed digit in my pocket, and I'm not sure why I was going to say that, because I don't think that's true. The blocked memories are resurfing. Hmm, that's interesting. Resurfing? Resurfacing? (laughs) Well, you know, they're getting the wave they always imagined. But I did fall off a jetty one time. When I was fishing, I just got a raise, so I was pretty stoked, so I drank like six Coronas. I was fishing on the Jacksonville River, and I fell. We're on these jetty on the river, and it's like, I don't know, it's March or February. It's cold again, obviously. It's always the worst things happen when it's cold. But, um, you know, like these jetties, these rocks are like eight feet wide, you know, giant rocks. I don't even know where they get them from, but they just like dump them in the ocean and in little inlets. And then there's these huge rocks, but little oysters and shit like make their homes on the surface of these rocks, which they just turn into razor blades, like razor blades. Yes. Attached to rocks and I was fishing and it was wet and rainy and there's moss and whatever and it's slippery and I just fell like six feet and hit a rock but I put my hands out and they just they just got sliced up by all the little the little shell like the little half inch tall muscle shells that are like as hard as concrete but as sharp as razors. And I hit those, and it sliced my hands up, and then I fell into the river and went underwater. And then had to, like, climb my way back up out of the water, which was so cold it was, like, gray. You know when water gets so cold, like ocean water gets so cold, it's, like, gray? Yeah. Fell into that with my coat and my jeans. 
and had to climb my way back out. And I looked down at my hand. I should take a picture of this, but you know the thumb meat that's at the base of your thumb, this big yeah. meaty area? Mm-hmm. So I have a scar that goes from like one side of that all the way up, like perpendicular. So the thumb comes down at one angle and it, the shell cut it perpendicular to that. And that was the worst one. Like there was stuff everywhere, like cuts and bleeding everywhere. But this one, I looked down in it and the, my thumb meat, it had cut it so deep that it was like a maw. A bloody maw that was gaping open, and all I could see was what looked like, like, almost like tapioca fat cells. Oh. It's just filled with tapioca fat and burgundy. It was so deep, it wasn't even bleeding that bad yet. It just looked like tapioca. And I was like, Oh, shit. And I didn't have health insurance. So then we went home, and I just took a shower and washed it out. And then for the next four weeks, I just held my thumb kind of closed and put a Band-Aid on it. Oh, shit. And I had to, like, you know, I use a mouse and a keyboard for my living. Like, I edit video and, like, type things and move things around. But I had to keep my thumb like tucked into my hand with a band-aid on it to try to like convince the sides of the maw to come together. Hopefully sweet Jesus, please connect again. And then for like four weeks, me, like never mind all of the other like cuts that also should have had, you know, three or four stitches here and there. This one probably should have had 20 because I could just look down to my thumb bone in there. But I says, oh, I'll just tuck my thumb in and put a Band-Aid on it. It'll be fine. And then I had to, like, edit video and type on a keyboard. <laughs> and I had, like, 20 Band-Aids on my fingers and my hands. You know what? how shitty it is to, like, have 20 Band-Aids on, like, cuts on every finger? I had cuts on every finger of my hand and all over my palms. And I'm typing and mousing every day. While trying to tuck my thumb in so that the tapioca fat doesn't come spilling out from my thumb meat. Couldn't go to the doctor, didn't have health insurance, couldn't afford it. To make a great Affordable Care Act commercial. Right, right. No, just tuck my thumb Meet in. Meet Adam. <laughs> his tapioca fat was spilling out everywhere. Of his thumb meat. I didn't have health insurance, so I just had to tuck my thumb in for four weeks. I'm going to write that down. Adams, tapioca, you go ahead. Talk to the listeners, please. Say, I've talked too much, Brad. Sure, you got to shut sure. me up, man. Well, you're, I don't know, you're, you're, you're the, uh, you have the tongue for it. Blah. His thumb meat. Thumb. I guess that's one word. So, thumb meat. Thumb meat. I like thumb meat as one. That's good. Yeah, thumb one meat. word. That's, thumb that's... meat is one word. That's a very good word. Yes. Tapioca thumb meat. I have a, just a real, I don't want to, I'll just call it a tapioca thumb meat spill. Okay. Maybe we'll do that. 
But I do have kind of like a you know like what happens in the Gulf of Mexico. I don't want to. Obviously, you're more important here because I've said too much. But um, maybe I have a question. Shoot. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. I actually can't read this. Okay. Uh, no, I got it. <laughs> um, we are on. I'm going to throw out a question here. This is question number, I have no idea. So, okay. This is, we're, this is our contest. Yeah. We're going to do a contest question. Now, right. okay. Before I do this, we did get some feedback from another quasi-listener. Theoretically, he listens. But I received this personally saying that he believes the the uh, trivia questions are interrupting the flow of the show. And these should be separate little, like, a la phones ringing, dude. We should do a little quiz there. Yeah, that's not going to happen. But I don't think that's going to happen because, like, the whole point is to, like, you know, coerce people into listening to the show. I think maybe the flow needs to be interrupted. Right, because otherwise I'm just going to be talking about tapioca fat in my thumb meats for two hours. So, anyway. That would be great for, like, the, the stingers in the beginning. Tapioca thumb meats? Otherwise I'm just going to be talking about my tapioca <laughs> thumb meats for two hours. <laughs> but, yeah, it's all fun and games, but seriously, can you imagine? And knowing, like, how, like... Like seagull shit covered, everything is. So now you have mm-hmm. like bird feces. Yeah, and it was razor the time sharp. Of, and it was the time of the avian flu. So it's like bird shit was all in there. And I just was like sliced open, like an inch deep, almost down to the bone. And just seeing like fat. Like it's all f- fun and games. It's very hilarious now, but like shit. Now I have this gaping, like. It's just spreading open. You're looking at it spreading open more and more, and there's just burgundy and then bright yellow fat pustules. And it's like, I don't even know what that is. Why is my thumb meat so fatty? I'm not fat. Why is there so much fat? And what is that? What am I looking at in there? I just wanted to close it up. I got a little bandit, and I didn't tell anybody, Brad. Nobody saw it. I washed it out in the shower. It's like, I just got to go take a shower. And meanwhile, like, things are gaping open on both of my hands. This was just the worst one. And I went up in there and, like, (laughs) had the hot water, like, (laughs) cleaning it out. And, like, I got the soap, rubbed the soap on my hand, and was like, okay, I got to put soap down in there now. And like rubbed it in there with my fingers. <laughs> it was uh, almost passed out from that business. And then, hey, <clears throat> hey guys, <clears throat> hey, does anybody have a bandit? I just need a bandit. I cut myself a little. It's like okay, here you go. Do you have anything better, like a butterfly type? Of, okay, okay. And I just put that on there. And then I just, I didn't really tell anybody. I just kind of kept it there for a month. People didn't notice you had uh, like 17 band-aids on your hand? They knew I had band-aids. They just thought I got kind of, oh, I got nicked up from falling off. Yeah, scraped up, falling off the jetty. Not that it went an inch down almost to my bone and my thumb meats. 
it's like the type of thing where, yeah. Like, this is like, it could have killed you, right? Uh, that could have, you know, I was keeping an eye on the redness traveling up my arm. Didn't happen. But yeah, obviously. Because it's like cut, like just wide open with all the feces and the moss yeah. and the. But then I immediately like, went I into salt say, water, you know? Yeah, so that I, mean, I wanted good. to say this is the type of thing that it happened in like the 1600s. You just die yeah, from yeah, it. Yeah, you'd just be dead. You'd just Except be dead. You pretty much like dealt with it the same way they did in the 1600s. But then I would take the band aid off, I'd sneak into the bathroom, and I. The difference between the 1600s and the early 2000s yeah. is. I had a big jar of hydrogen peroxide. Okay, I was going to say, yeah, the, the hygiene was probably better. Right, ultimately. so I would That's take... That's what made the difference between life and death for total you. Total difference. And I would take the Band-Aid off before I brush my teeth. I'd put the Band-Aid in the trash, and then I'd slightly move my thumb away from between my middle finger and ring finger, just to open up a little bit, and I would dump hydrogen peroxide in there and kind of then wash it out. And then more hydrogen peroxide. Like, I probably went through two bottles of hydrogen peroxide. And it would foam up like crazy. And I would, like, punch the mirror. And then I would wash it out, dry it off, and put another Band-Aid on it. That's the difference between the 1600s and present day. But otherwise, yeah, I'd be dead. I would just have died. It would have taken probably a month, but I would have been dead. Not a great time. Jimmy Dale Gilmore of the country group The Flatlanders plays what character in The Big Lebowski? Again, Jimmy Dale Gilmore of the country group The Flatlander plays what character in The Big Lebowski? And if you know the answer, head over to gutterballs.tv. You're so announcerly. Like I was doing. Let us know. Purposeful announcer voice, but. It's my casual announcer persona. Yeah, it's pretty casual. Okay, I'll give you that. I don't know what question number this is, Brad. Doesn't matter anymore. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Just write us and let us know you want the t-shirt. Please and we'll send love it to us. You. Please love us, won't you? Someone? Anyone? I'm going to call it 10, even though I have no idea. See, I'm powered by love now these days. I love love. Well, I love love, but I'm also powered. There's an internal motor of love. Oh, right now. like you're exuding love. Yeah, but I'm also oh. living off the own, my own love that I exude. And it's a weird way. It's hard to describe. That is hard to describe I don't need the love. I don't need the love. You're exuding your own love. I'm confident in my own love. Huh. Yeah, I have no love for myself. I, uh, I'm not saying I have love for myself. I'm just confident in my own, my own love. See, that's nice. That's, that's, see, that's a good way to be. The last time I made a movie, which was three years ago, I didn't enjoy the experience because it was the 48-hour film challenge. I don't know if I've discussed this. Have I discussed this experience at all? I don't know that you have. It, uh, so 48-hour film challenges, it's worldwide, but um, you sign up and then Friday at, what, like 6 p.m., you have to go to a place and you are issued a genre, a prop, and a line of dialogue. And then you have until Sunday at 6 p.m. to physically deliver a copy of your movie back to that same place. So you have 48 hours to make a movie, write it, 
shoot it, edit it, export it, and deliver it back. 48 hours. And I did this three years ago now. And I've, you know, we had a similar competition like this that was ongoing for, what, three years? We did something, something similar. Like yeah, it was, you know, good. So I'm like, you know what? This is, this is cake. It was one of our creative exercises. Right. Kind of like this. But, um, it was a nice mix of like rank amateurs and professionals. Right. Right. So I figured this, this will be easy. This is this old hat to me. So we, we sent our, our representative down there. We got our genre, science fiction, prop as a pencil. The line of dialogue was, I'm taking it one day at a time. I'm like, this is easy. This is perfect. I couldn't ask for anything easier or better. So actually, Camilo came over and helped write it. Another buddy of mine from film school, Sean Kelly, came down from Philly. And the three of us sat here and like Friday night, we got that. It's like, oh, this is cake. And we stayed up to like, 11 o'clock at night. Now, keep in mind, you have to shoot all day Saturday and have it done and start editing Saturday because it better be fucking finished by like 3 p.m. Sunday so you can get it down there. So there's not much time. And then it's like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. We've, we've written like three different scripts and they're kind of okay. And we finally at like 1 o'clock in the morning finish what we think is a good script and then we realized, like... It was one o'clock in the morning good. It was one o'clock in the morning good. And it was also not science fiction at all. It was fantasy. There was no science to it. And there was no... I mean, it was fiction, but there was no science to it. It was just pure fantasy and slightly horror. And we're like, we have not written the thing that we were supposed to write. So everybody else was falling asleep. And it like we wrote some great stuff, but everybody else had to go to bed. And so now I'm here, and I have professionals coming to help me for free in the morning at seven a.m. And it's so now it's getting on two o'clock. Everybody's asleep, and I'm sitting there with my laptop, looking at a a page of basically nonsense. And I write something. I wrote a whole other movie that was probably the shittiest thing I ever wrote since being like 11 years old and now I've made some bad movies and written some bad shit and this was probably worse than all of those and I try to revise that and then I try to go back to the other thing and make it into a science fiction and it just wasn't working so now it's 4 o'clock in the morning and we, there's nothing there's nothing there's nothing that we can shoot and it's like I must sleep now because in 3 hours all these people are descending upon my home expecting to start shooting a movie. So I go and I lay like a rigid two by six plank in my bed, staring at the ceiling for about an hour and a half, just rigidly not sleeping. And then I get up. Okay, that's enough of rigid stasis. I get up and I go out to the kitchen and I make coffee 
And then I open up my laptop and I stare at the blank screen again, trying to think of something, anything that we could film so we don't all look like complete jackasses. And I don't disappoint everyone in my life and confirm myself as an unmitigated failure. But I failed at that. So now it's, it's like 7.15 and now people are showing up. The sound guy shows up. The DP shows up with all his gear. Uh, the, the PAs are there. The editor's there. Every, and everybody's here. And we have breakfast. My mom was so kind. She had, like, catered the whole thing. Like, we had catering. And there's this wonderful breakfast spread with bagels and coffee. And, us oh, great. And I, we have this little sun porch room, Brad. And I'm out there. Like, standing by myself with the door closed. Everybody's, like, rolling around thinking, like, oh, any moment now we're going to make a movie. And there's nothing. And I'm standing out there with my head down thinking, what have I done? What, what's the best course of action here? Is the best course of action to, right now, right now, open the door, walk into the room and say, listen, everybody, enjoy the bagels, enjoy the coffee. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Uh, but we're going uh, to have to go ahead and call it off. So um, I know you have canceled all your weekend plans for the next you know, 48 hours. Uh, just we're done, though. Everybody go home. Sorry to waste your time. Or, or do, I, do I try to write something? And then it's just like, why, why do I even try? Why am I doing this? This, this is the worst I've ever felt in my life. I feel like I need to crawl up underneath the table into the fetal position and like drag things around me so that they can't find me. And then I won't have to face this harsh, cruel reality. It's if like, I was there... <laughs> I would have just ran away a la Napoleon Dynamite. Right. Just, kind of in an awkward way, like be there with everyone that's kind of like run away. Oh, if that would have occurred to me, because there was a door, I could have done that. If that would have occurred to me, I would have done that. But instead, at like 7.30, Sean Kelly came out there and like I started writing something. Joe O'Brien came out there and he was the DP he's like, okay, well, just tell me where the first scene is going to be, and we'll start setting that up. I'm like, kitchen. And he started setting that up. And then, nice. nice. I like it. Right. And then it's like, okay, we know it starts in the kitchen. And then we just fucking wrote a script in like 30 minutes. And then we walked into the kitchen, and it was all set up. And then we shot the movie. And I had no idea what was going on. And nobody on the crew had any the outtakes are great i should post some because joe the dp i had him doing one thing while i was setting up another thing and the actors are asking him okay what's going on in this scene he's like i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) this is how i feel the dude is in this limousine like initially he feels like he has got it you know he is the fucking lord of all creation and it slowly unravels to the point where, holy shit, there's a toe in some gauze. Mm-hmm. And imagine the mm-hmm. feeling mm-hmm. when now he's holding a human toe in his hands and the magnitude of his own folly is revealed to him right. in such a blinding well, flash. 
That's how the, I feel. Yeah. And that's how no, I, I think could he understand. feels. I could understand that. Although, you know, I think a, there's a big difference, though, in the case. In this case, the dude is an external factor that is visited upon him. Whereas in your case, it was your own. Mm. It was all internal, right? Your struggle was internal. Well, yeah, but the dude did, like, play ball with the whole, like, throw a ringer for a ringer thing. Sure. So he was sure. kind of an uh, element or an agent of his own demise, right? I mean, I think I know what you're saying. Right. Well, yeah. I'm just, that's as True. low as I've felt. And I can well, only how imagine. how did it end up? You know, it ended up okay. We won a couple of awards. but So there you go. Right, but why would I put myself? That's it's taken me three years. I haven't made. Why would you put yourself through that for a couple of awards? You say, yeah. Why? Because you're sitting here during this whole hour begging people to love you. Please love me. Won't anyone love me? No. (laughs) What I would have done is taken your original horror script, yeah, and just added an alien to it. Now it's sci-fi. Like, instead of whatever it was. That's not science. That's really, you're, that, come on, that's just self-sabotaging now. Science, Brad. So you're going to go to, like, Star Wars and be like, yeah, it's not science fiction. What's, what's not? I mean, fine, I could argue that it's not, but I don't think that's what they meant in this case. It's a space western. They weren't like, let's find, uh... you know, they were be like, hey, you guys just made this really awesome, uh, fantasy set in outer space but uh, well technically it wasn't sci-fi all right well uh, the one we wrote was not set in outer space so i could argue that fine outer space then it involves like being in outer space so then you have to have made a rocket and done all this mathematics to figure out uh, escape velocity blah 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 so there's there's science fiction there's science behind the fact that you're in we didn't have any of that it was just totally random you just had to make it be like those aliens. Just put an alien you. in it, and then you're good. Like, whatever was horrific about it, instead of having a monster or Jersey Devil or whatever, you, you have a an alien. Or if it's just, like, all internal anguish or something, it's because aliens are experimenting on you. See? Again, you have so two good suggestions. Run away or put an alien in it. You know? <laughs> Run away or put an alien in it. That's my solution to everything. I know and it, it is. it served me really well up to this point. Did, but w- yeah. maybe if you would have put thing an is, that's alien, what I would have done, and we would have ended up not with the movie that you made that ended up winning awards. So you would have ended up with your second science fair project that didn't win any awards. Exactly, because the parallel lines never had an opportunity to meet in infinity somewhere. There's some truth to that. You know, it's only when we let go of everything, Brad, that anything is possible. I don't actually believe that. That's a terrible thing to say. It's stupid. Please, listener, don't endorse that philosophy. So you brought it up. You need to ask me. I'm itching to hear what your 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 parallel line question for me was. Did they ever meet? Is my only question. Well, they meet at infinity. Did you prove it? Well, it's not a question of proving it, right? It's a, uh, it's more like a theoretical construct. 
So let's assume parallel lines meet at infinity, right? Like, how do you do that? How do you, how, how would you, what is the equation for a line that meets an, that would meet its parallel line at infinity, right? And then what, what, what else follows from that? Um, the parallel lines meeting at infinity, uh, so, you know, maybe someone out there is like an expert in projective geometry, but I don't think that's possible. It's not real. Well, how did you have an award-winning... The way certain other non-Euclidean concepts are, could, are theoretically real. Such as what? Like the fact that the ratio of diameter to circumference of a circle is not actually constant. How and does actually, that the mean? larger the circle gets, the, <clears throat> the larger the circle gets... Um, like as you add diameter, you 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 get you slowly get less and less circumference out of it until a point where actually you add more diameter and the circumference of the circle actually becomes smaller. You're making this up. No, but that would make sense if you imagine our well. Okay, so I was using a two dimensional example, right? If you imagine, um, so I okay. see. So you have a sphere, and it gets the diameter of the sphere gets larger and larger. The sphere gets smaller and smaller. So you projected that onto like two lines. I think I may. Well, forget the two lines thing. Right? Well, that's, that's my a, that's favorite a, thing. All right. Well, so I don't know that. But this is all hypothetical. Well, there's some parts that are hypothetical, some parts that are less hypothetical. <laughs> <laughs> I need a noise to make. I gotta make a noise for that. I don't know. There, there's my picture of the Big Lebowski. It's the dude, Walter, and Donnie. Okay. Go ahead. Please continue. Well, I guess I would just say, I don't know. I don't think... I don't know that the parallel lines meeting infinity is an actual thing, if that's an actual property of our physical universe. Wasn't that the thesis statement of your project? No, 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 no. Mine was simply working on that. Was taking an analytical approach, right? To if two parallel lines meet at infinity, right? Like you have the equation for a line, like right? Y equals mx plus b. I took an analytical geometry approach, which is where you use like equations and things to describe lines and curves and things like that so what you know so what is the so if you have y equals mx plus b right you can have um two parallel lines and they're never going to meet right of course not it's impossible so, so there was a way and unless you, change you know the rules. i wish i could remember the the actual math here but you know, so you know you would have to add to that equation well yeah you change the rules I totally changed the rules. Okay. But it's like in this place where these rules are changed, here is how you can, here is how it all works mathematically, right? And it was all just a mathematical construct. So it was like this weird thing where you have, like, so in geometry, right? Just imagine, like, pure geometry. Like, you have these rules, and you have um, proofs and equations, and there's based on certain axioms, right? Okay, so let's change some of these axioms. Now what do you get? 
all these other things, right? So it's like this weird, just weird, like parallel existence you could imagine. But it's all. And I don't know why it has no practical application. What? But just people in like the 1400s were bored. But it has no basis in reality either, because God doesn't play dice. I'm not saying there's basis in reality for this, right? Now, there's other non-Euclidean, so I would call this non-Euclidean geometry, because that's what it's called, I guess, you know? Well, yeah. Um, you know, there's Euclidean geometry, which is like what you learn in, in school, which is like, oh, you have squares, and there's a plane, and you have lines, and, you know, two points, and they make a line, and parallel lines. Angles of a triangle add up yeah. to 180 degrees, blah, right. blah, blah. So, but there's ways you could screw with that, right? So, imagine... Where you start to, like, I mean, the most common thing, and this is where things actually can have practical application is, so if you take that, you have this piece of paper, right, and you draw this square on it. Okay, there's Euclidean geometry. Now take that piece of paper and roll it up. Now what just happened to that square, right? Like it's, right? Like. What do you mean? (laughs) Somewhere between, um. Non-Euclidean and squares. So imagine... I tuned out. So if you did this, right? Okay, here's the most clearest, simple example I could think of. (laughs) Okay. So imagine you have a flat two-dimensional surface, right? And you draw a circle on it. Square or... Okay, Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And you keep adding bigger and bigger circles right you increase the diameter when you increase the diameter you increase the radius and there is a ratio to that yeah and that's in essence is actually radius to circumference is pi pi right sure yes it's a constant sure 3.14 blah 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 now imagine you take this two-dimensional surface and you wrap that around a sphere like you put it on a globe now you're on a globe okay and imagine you're at the north pole and you draw a circle then you make it bigger then you make it bigger then you get to the equator then you make the diameter bigger now all of a sudden the circumference the edge point of that circle is smaller because now you're going down the other side of the sphere but you're not making the diameter bigger then either so maybe is that no, the diameter it? is bigger. The distance from the edge of that circle to the North Pole is increasing. Okay, that way. I see. So, but if you only exist in a two-dimensional universe, but, right, you don't see that. You're, but, you, you have no conception of the third dimension, right? So something similar could happen to us where we live in three-dimensional space. We keep making the sphere bigger. Then at some point, you make it bigger and the actual outside area becomes less. I understand. This Because like, we're in a three, three dimensions gotcha. somehow warped in a fourth dimension. This is like Carl Sagan's flat world where, you know, it's yeah, very similar to this. Yeah, except that wasn't Carl Sagan, but yeah. You know, and you exist in these two dimensions. One thing can't go around another thing. And then what would you think about a third dimension coming in? Like, it just, it would be bonkers. It would be just totally just monkey balls, incomprehensible nonsense. But, you know, yeah, if you take it down that level and compare us living in 3D to the 2D, you could imagine. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, right. it's kind I'm of like it. that. Okay. 
Even though it was Flatland, not Flat World. Whatever it was. Come on, you just And it was an 1884 satirical novella. I'm bringing it up out of my mind, and you're furiously typing, so fuck you, man. Apparently there was a short film. There was short films, Flatland the Movie and Flatland 2, Sphereland, starring Martin Sheen and Kristen Bell. Martin Sheen will just do anything, won't he? Like he did uh, that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, the Scorsese, the, the mob movie. Yeah, you thought that was crappy? I hated that movie. What was that called? The Departed. The Departed. Oh, I like that one a lot. I hated that. Do you know I why I hated it? Why is that? There's one moment that made me hate it. I mean... Eight years old, right? Spoiler alert. Screw you if you haven't seen it, right? Okay, there's a moment where a dude's walking along and a body gets flung off a roof and it, like, lands in front of him. And I thought that was the single most cheesy moment in a movie I'd ever seen and it just took me completely out of the movie and made the whole thing shit. Because it looks so stupid. And I'm used to Scorsese doing, like, pretty viscerally upsetting things as far as violence is concerned in his movies. And this just was so stupid looking. Like, it almost was cartoonish. And the movie hadn't been that way up to that point. And it was like, you just kind of shit the bed right there. And it went back in time and ruined the movie, kind of like No Country for Old Men. After I saw the end of that, it went back in time and ruined the rest of the movie for me. Sorry, Brad. I can't say that I remember the details you're talking about. I just remember liking the movie. Yeah, I did not. I don't like Scorsese that much. I think that he peaked with Goodfellas and it's been downhill since then. I haven't enjoyed a movie he's made since then. And I have a real bug up my ass about... Like him, like fully endorsing the Alexa camera, which is a great camera, but he endorses it for the wrong reasons, saying that HD slash like 2K is going to be good enough forever. No, it's not. You project a 2K image onto a 70 foot wide movie screen, and you project a 4K or 5K image onto that same movie screen, one of them's going to look better. So I just think it's like evidence of his diminishing acumen. Yeah, but I don't know. I think there's a place for that. A place for what? For nostalgia? No, a place for worrying about the technical capabilities of what's being projected. What do you mean? But I think overall it doesn't necessarily matter. Well, it does matter because he was a big film purist. And then he wants to jump ship finally because you have to to keep up with it. But he chooses to jump ship to something that is going to be obsolete. And, well, and an, an image, will... an image, Brad, because 4K TVs and greater, there's 8K TVs out there, 16K TVs, an image that will be itself obsolete you won't be able to watch it on a tv five years from now if you buy a new tv 
if you watch one of his movies, they'll have to scale it up 400%. That's not going to look good. Wouldn't you want to have, if you care about your art, wouldn't you want it to have some sort of like preservation? Wouldn't you want it to be future-proof at least a little bit? But no, he's, he's shooting for now. And that's the thing with film. Like, I, I applaud people shooting on film because within reason, that's uh, it's as close as they could have gotten to, like, vector-based filmmaking. You know, it could be scaled up. Pretty, well, see, I just don't think that's true. Pretty unreasonably large. Film, I've come to realize, like, film is nowhere near... Uh, well, one, so when we say film, right, we're depends talking about 35 on, millimeter film. Sure. Depends on the ASA you're shooting at, too, and the size of the silver nitrate. Yeah, depends on a lot of things. Well, it all depends on a lot of things. But. The Alexa has great dynamic range. Mm-hmm, which I think is far more important. It's not far more resolution. important. They're all the same, Brad. You just said it. There's a lot of things in play. You know? Yes. You, just because you can control your highlights and your shadows doesn't mean that image is going to transport to five years from now. Because you can also control your highlights and shadows just like we've been doing for the last hundred years with film on any of a bunch of mediums. The Sony's got cameras that shoot 4K. Uh, pretty mm-hmm. much every manufacturer has cameras that shoot 4k but no ari is this oh it's ari we're gonna shoot 2k i'm i do not endorse it and again the magnitude of their folly will be revealed to them in a blinding flash in the next couple of years and be like sorry you can't buy this title on 4k whatever the f digital download from amazon or wherever because they didn't shoot it 4K. They shot it 2K. So it would be like having a standard def movie, a widescreen standard def movie, that they up to HD. Well, is there ever... So the part of the question is, on the screen they're looking at it, um, which granted you can keep making it bigger and bigger, per se, but I guess there's still a question of well, not bigger how much bigger. of your field of view and how close you are takes up. Like... Is the human eye going to be able to discern the difference? Can you discern the difference between standard def and high definition? Yes. It's that now, same Now, can I jump. discern the difference between 720p and 1080p on my television? I'm not so sure. Depends on what the signal started with. As much as I'm a 1080p kind of like, yeah, well, don't give me anything less than that. I think really in a blind test... And also, depend. There's lots of other things that come into to play when you look at that too. Um, I guess all my initial objection was simply from the fact, and it's my little bit of playing devil's advocate. Is you know there is a certain quality that comes from a low res, right? There is an there is an aesthetic of that resolution. Let's not get back to this. Can't we kill it already? <laughs> The the reason you do that is either, I mean, there better be a damn good, like, story reason or plot reason or, like you said, aesthetic reason 
that you would deliberately shitify the look of your film. Otherwise, shitify is such a relative thing. Like so many people now might be saying shooting on film is completely shitifying it. Well, maybe it is. So, oh, did I just insult you? Maybe it is, Brad. Yeah. Yeah. See, there's your little yeah where I know. Well, like, no, you're no, going... I'm with. Yeah. Well, here we've come to the point where we kind of agree. Because <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Shooting on the Alexa and shooting 2K is deliberately shitifying your film. Now, if Marty were to show up here and give me a good goddamn reason why he wouldn't shoot with the technology that could give him the best possible image, I would listen. I would listen. But I can't think of a reason why he would. Nothing about the movies he's shooting demand a a deliberately shitified look. He wants to shoot the best. He thinks that is the best. But I don't agree. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. Yeah, and it can be wrong. And it is wrong most of the time if it's not the same as mine. I need to be in charge of everything. That way I can shitify things up in my own way. So the, uh... Yes? Yes, They eventually end up in the diner. Jesus, we didn't even get to that. And the dude's holding up his fingers in the shape of the toe. And we'd never even talked about, like, would you unwrap a bloody, gauzy package and, like, pick out and, like, rip the toe, how it's kind of sticking to the gauze, and pick up this human toe and, like, rip it off of the gauze and, like, wield it around in your hands? Would you do that, or would you just look at it? But they needed him to do that so he could pick it up and then turn it around to reveal the nail polish. Yes. Well, granted, they could have had the nail polish been there. But again, yeah, they want the one-two punch. It's a reveal. There's the visceralness of it being, like, ripped. Like, it's stuck. Bloodiness is it's stuck to the gauze, right? There's little sounds. You can hear it kind of ripping off of because yes filmmaking is a visceral enterprise it is not just purely cerebral it's true but yeah like he's got little little blood nuggets on his fingers you know he's Mm -hmm. gonna have to wipe that on his shorts so now he's got Amy Mann's blood on his shorts whoops well if you're listening You're welcome. Now you know. So, he, yeah. And we hear the music. I figure we should at least acknowledge that. We should, and... Debbie Reynolds. Is that Debbie Reynolds? Yes. What, you said Tammy? What's Tammy mean? Tammy is the name of the song. Really? I hear the cotton woods weeping. Right. It's so gross. It's a nice... It's a nice thing to do when you have a horrible thing and then you play pretty music over it. It's a classic move. And Marty, to give him credit, does this pretty well in a lot of his gangster films where he'll have a scene of like particularly violent 
malfeasance. And then he'll play like this classic like 50s doo-wop song over it or some shit like that. And that's a particularly effective aesthetic. So he's holding this severed toe and I hear the garden and this beautiful sort of like whimsical dreamy out in a field of grass with the sun shining sort of song comes on. That's particularly effective. Yes. And this song continues on into the diner. This is, in essence, the music playing in the background of the diner. So diegetic sound from the diner. Yes. Basically. Like pretty much all. Although, you know, I I tried to cut myself off right at uh, whatever it is, 5300, I guess. Mm hmm. And I'm not sure. At 5300, they haven't fully convinced me that this is diegetic sound in the diner. Not fully. <coughs> and I'll, I'll wait. I'll, um, you know, we can, um, you know, I'll just make a little edit point there. Yeah. You had yeah, yeah. your spleen come up out of your throat. But um, I, need, um, I need a little pedal to <laughs> mute this thing, like I did on my old mic. You know? Uh, you have to make sacrifices. I think you sound better. You sound like fucking Barry White, man. Good on you. But yeah, I'm not fully hearing the diegeticness of this yet. Yeah, but, well, we'll have to leave that for the next minute to kind of make a determination. But also, this is the moment where... So... 10, 20 seconds before when the dude is like laying down the smack, laying the hammer down on the titular Lebowski and Brandt saying like, hasn't this ever occurred to you, sir? Which I thought was a little too aggressive, but he was really feeling on top of his game there. And then he, it's like riding a roller coaster. He's at the top and now it swoops down. And as soon as that toe shows up, he is at, the depths now he's at the bottom and and the threat is issued and the threat is issued he's going to lose all his toes there's a little mixed metaphor he's going to visit that tenfold on his head no he's going to visit that tenfold on his feet but whatever but then this is the first time like you started to believe that walter's theory which he pilfered from the dude that she kidnapped herself, like he really latched onto that, and it's like you start to believe it, you know, and then Maud comes in, she kind of reinforces that idea, and you start to believe it, and then you see the toe. We go to the diner, and Walter's like, that wasn't her toe, dude. And then you start to really believe that this guy is just a total jackass. And it's like, you are just gonna basically go down with the ship thinking this misguided thing that's just gonna probably get everybody killed and you need to wake up dude when i say dude i mean walter but you need to wake up and like sometimes Mm -hmm. you gotta like cut your losses and say i was wrong and he's not doing it he's so committed to this idea well i so here's where i wonder right and i and there was a Well, I'll just stick to this minute here. Okay. When he, the way he is like, oh, that's not her toe. And he's like, (laughs) (laughs) like it almost seems like he doesn't really believe it. Himself. 
Like he seems now, granted, this could just be a weird thing, right? Lost in the performance. A little nervous. It, it seems, yes, it seems like that is Walter acting. Not John Goodman acting right, as Walter, right. but Walter is acting. Walter is putting on this kind of face. Right, because otherwise he'd be angry, right? That's not her toe, dude. That's his natural, like, honest reaction is usually anger. So he's trying to laugh it off. He doesn't usually laugh things off. If he really believes something, he gets angry. I'm, I'm with you here. I'm yeah. totally with now, you. I will say... His immediate follow-up, though, to, you know, whose toe is it, Walter? How the fuck should I know? I know nothing about it indicates. Like, he's back into more, like... He had a moment of weakness where he didn't believe it. Now he, like... Right. He now he's back in. Puts he's the defenses back up. Sure. But yeah. no, I, I like that. He had a moment where even he was unsure of his theory. Because, I mean, there is a toe. There's a literal human toe. Yes. With green nail polish. And I'm going to have to just mention, I think we need to mention the fact that the titular Lebowski says, I will not abide another toe. (laughs) Abide. That's where that comes from. Shit. That's where that comes from. Yeah. That's why he says it later? Yeah. He's just sparroting some more shit off there? Yep. Huh. Wow. Nice one, Brad. I got to give you some props on that. Nice. We should have opened with that. We should have, op- you know, why are we burying the lead here? <laughs> Jesus We're going to have to revisit it in the next episode. I'm writing it down. We got to revisit that. Damn it. That is good shit. I was so focused on the achievement sparroting that I forgot to even look for any more. The abide sparroting. The dude abides. I will not abide another toe. Wow. Now, did you hear? Did you just, you just did that yourself, didn't you? Yeah. Nice work, man. Nice, nice work. Uh, shit. How many questions did we ask? One? One. Well, I think we can do one more. We'll do one more, but let's make it a, um, a gutter balls. Pod- oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. A podcast, a podcast question. I've got one. I I've say one, one more question, and then I think we can. It's a good way to close yeah, out the absolutely. episode. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got one. Ready? Ready. What was the name of the rural Pennsylvania town where Brad and company experienced open garages piled high with furniture at 11 o'clock at night? Awesome. That is a great question. I will repeat it. What was the name of the rural Pennsylvania town? where Brad and company experienced open garages piled high with furniture at 11 o'clock at night. There you go. So if you know the answer... <laughs> how, do you, how do they tell us they know this answer? You can simply go to gutterballs.tv and click contact. And then That's what? all you have to do. Then what? Oh, that was question number... Um... I don't even know. It was question number. Well, we didn't. We've already lost the numbers. I think. Well, it was question number eleven. The first one was ten. This was question number eleven. All right, question eleven. Yeah, which is a good one. That's a good one. I was proud of myself for that. 
Yeah, ten was the um, it was the uh, Jimmy Dale Gilmore of the Country right. Group of Flatlanders plays. Right. Which, if you've listened to this podcast, you know the answer to that one. It's a it's a no brainer. So there, we're up to eleven, and uh, as always, Bradley, it has been my supreme pleasure sharing this forty-five minute. Oh shit. 93 minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> With you. Um, forget those other 48 minutes. We'll just put them up on the poop deck. Poop. Poop. Next time on Gutter Balls. You want a toe? I can get you a toe. Believe me. There are ways, dude. You don't want to know about it, believe me. Yeah, but Walter... Hell, I can get you a toe by 3 o'clock this afternoon with nail polish.